Welcome to the Food and Beverage Report here on the Winning at Work podcast. I hope wherever you are, wherever you're listening, you're having a great day. It is April. Absolutely gorgeous here in Atlanta. Dogwoods are out. Azaleas are in full bloom. We've just had the Masters in golf. Wish my yard looked that good. Maybe one day I do have a real mower, so it'll it will look like the rough that they have out there. I can get it looking that good. Talking to some clients and some candidates recently in the upper states, and they still have snow. Very hard to believe. Here we are in April. People are dealing with snow. It's just not right. It's not right. It's April. It's time for the spring. And it's time for our first ever food and beverage report. Lots of news comes out over the course of a month, over the course of a week. We don't have time to digest it all, but a couple of things caught my eye. Before I get into these five or six little news items, I've had so much fun bringing in these experts to be with me with my food uh, brands, with my beverage brands. I've had Kevin Scott for beverages. I've had Thaddeus Thorne for food. And it's really kind of kicked off this this idea that I'm going to go after some other experts, experts in their field and their in their niche and kind of have them join us to give a little more insight into PR and marketing, such a critical element behind any food and beverage brand, getting that done right. I've also been in talks with uh, a PhD, a uh, food scientist, food um, nutritionist, and really looking forward to kind of bringing these new thoughts, these new ideas into the podcast to just, you know, add another lens. You know, my expertise is in uh, headhunting, is in uh, talent strategies. I love the food and beverage industry, but I think it's important to bring in the other experts too, to really kind of dive into what's happening. And so let, let's kind of get into our first item. Um, I don't know what you guys think about robotics in the restaurant space, but it's going to become more and more of a thing here. Um, it's big over in Japan. So we have this story now. Bear Robotics and SoftBank join forces to mass produce Servi, the food service robot. And after months of battle testing its food assistant robots in restaurants and casinos in the United States and Japan, Bay Area-based Bear Robotics and key investor SoftBank have announced plans to scale and rebrand the robot formerly known as Penny. I mean, it's kind of a cool looking little robot. Um, apparently, they're, they've expanded with Chili's. So Chili's has taken the robot. They've given it its own name. They call it Rita the Robot. I'm going to get into this thing. But you know what those little um, Roombas look like? You know, they kind of do the, the vacuuming. It looks kind of like that. But it's got room for drinks on the, and then on top of the drinks, there's another like serving tray area. So it looks like it's kind of low to the ground. Maybe it's a little bit higher than that. And I could see it, you know, serving as a food runner, but man, I could just see somebody getting up tripping, maybe someone who's had a little too much to drink and they stumble toward Rita. You've got these drinks, you've got this food on there. I don't see how that, that rope, that robot's going to be able to get out of the way. And a person at least is going to be able to see it, anticipate it. I, I just don't think they are going to be able to do that with the robot. So that's probably one of the big downsides. I do know they're real trendy right now. And the feedback from the customers have been, oh, they're so cute and they're fun. And 
So, you know, it's definitely kind of a, a, a gimmick. So we'll see if it really takes off. So here's Chili's Bar and Grill. They're expanding its test of hosting, toting, and singing. <laughs> it actually sings. Oh, you know what? It's the, uh, yeah, the, it sings the uh, happy birthday. Hey, that's pretty good because a lot of those people, they're, they're not in tune. I'm not in tune. I would just say, hey, Rita, take over. So um, it's being expanded to 51 more restaurants. So they did the test in 10 restaurants. They started back October 2020, and it's helped the brand determine which roles the robot does best. So it says here, Rita is just one away and proof that we're innovating in the name of fun and efficiency. All right. So we'll see. So what does it do? Um, host. The robot can lead customer to tables and provide a pitch for the My Chili's Rewards loyalty program until the server takes over. Her presence eases the pressure on our host by allowing them to stay in their stand and welcome guests in Welcome guests in and attend to their questions and concerns. Okay. Um, run food and help clear tables. Yeah, I've already kind of talked about that. And it can sing. Huh. I mean, I don't know what you're spending on these things, but if that's all they're able to do, I'm not sure that's going to be the big, uh, the big game changer. I like the run food. I like the clearing tables. I think that could be good, but I've already – kind of describe what my concern is about that. So we'll see how Rita does. Um, now, one thing I, w- I am very interested in is finding more of these food technology companies that might be going uh, on the IPO trail. Everyone's looking for new ideas, and I do think we're going to be looking for some innovation around restaurants. So we'll have to keep our eyes on that. When So second, the, the second thing that kind of jumped out at me, this is uh, maybe not really news to anyone, but when we were, you know, obviously in COVID, food service shut down, everything kind of shut down. But then when it came back, there was no in-store dining. And so people were going into these um, really, really long wait lines, really long queues when you're waiting at the drive through And I, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, the next thing that's going to come out of this is they're going to start having, you know, multiple drive through lines. Chick-fil-A has been pretty good. They've been pretty quick to do that. And now Popeye's is on that bandwagon. So I expect we're going to see more and more of this happen as these stores are redesigned. I personally, I just don't want to see the inside of these stores go away. I mean, I've just, it's fun just to take your kids, sit down, have a fun, quick little meal with them. You know, kids are so funny. You give them food, it's their it's their, their fun food, maybe their favorite food, and they just they just create the you know you just create those fun little moments. You just don't get that sitting in the car and bringing it home. So hopefully this doesn't mark the the end of in store dining, which of course might help some of the staffing issues, perhaps. But uh, here we go. Popeyes plans more double drive throughs and expansion in New York City. So quick service brands expect to open more than two hundred restaurants. In 2022, uh, Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen plans to amp up the number of drive throughs among its new restaurants to open this year and will be expanding its presence into New York City. Well, I guess it was bound to happen, but it's not my favorite thing. And, you know, for the longest time, people were really, really upset 
that we had all these cars sitting, running, burning gas, burning fuel, right? And now you're doubling the amount. So for those people who are really concerned about, you know, fossil fuels, uh, you're really, um, (laughs) you're not going to be happy with that evolution. A third thing. Now, this one, I'm I'm really, I want to get your opinions on this one. This is um, why should you consider gigifying your job openings? And this is really directed at restaurants. So the gig economy, if you're not really sure what the gig economy is, the gig economy is basically that of a contractor, like a consultant. You know, you go to a gig, you go to another gig. They're all part-time. They're all 1099. And it's kind of, you know, you're hopping from one to the next. And I think in some industries it works, works out really well. But Here's an article in the Nation's Restaurant News, and they're actually promoting this idea of the gig, you know, for for restaurants. And I just, gosh, staffing is so hard. I've got um, a daughter. Shout out to Madeline, Mad Dog. She's uh, she's busting her hump right now, trying to finish up her cosmetology certificate, her degree, get her license. And as she goes through that, she's also working in a restaurant. And I know how hard it is for them to get these, call them kids, get these get these young professionals scheduled, get everything kind of booked into their calendars and get them to show up on time and so on and so forth. I think when you add like this gig element to the restaurants, I feel like it kind of detaches them even more from the restaurant. I don't know that it's going to help. I could be totally wrong. But I think what what inspired the the post in the first place was is people were they – were, they were taking a taxi or they were taking an Uber and they're talking to the Uber driver. And he's like, yeah, I'm actually a registered nurse, but I made $160,000 in Uber and I'm dialing back you know, my work as a nurse. You know, when I first when I hear that, I think that's that's just impossible. There's no way you're making 160k driving a car. But I'm a you know show me kind of guy, so maybe maybe it's legit. But this person claims that they've been driving. You know, they do. I'm not sure if it's if they do all of them or a few of them. But you know, Uber, Uber Eats, Lyft, DoorDash, Tackle, Thumbtack, Rover, and so on. You know, you've got. 7 million Americans that are, that are using these apps. So it just seems like an awfully high number. So they come up with this idea like, hey, let's offer gig or let, let, let's promote the gig economy to these workers and let's, you know, let's see if we can get these restaurants to adopt this gig mentality. They say they have four benefits, flexibility, immediate pay, peak shift maximization, and no boss. This just seems like it's. This is a massive disruption. Um, I, I just don't see it. Flexibility. So flexibility means that gig workers can work when they want for the duration that they want. Well, can you imagine that during the shift that they just kind of, ah, eh, you know what? I'm kind of done with this. I'm up and I'm up and gone. And uh, if you have no boss, then there's no repercussions for that. That seems problematic. Flexibility. I mean, that's part of what you're doing with your boss is giving them your hours. You're saying, "Hey, I'm working Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You know, I can you can put me in Tuesday, thir- uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday." You're already getting that flexibility with them. 
But they're saying that, hey, traditional employment typically comes with a four-hour minimum and uh, you know two shifts a week. You got to schedule this all in advance. And this is totally different. This is totally different. And it would give the power back to the team members to work out schedules and changes and ensure this flexibility. Uh, I just, I can't see that working. Um, immediate pay. Look, another bad idea for restaurants because you've got payroll cycles. Now they claim that they've got this new technology. Um, I think it's called branch uh, pay active or uh, Claire, and they can offer employees immediate pay without disrupting restaurant payroll cycles. Well, the only way to do that is the company, the restaurant has to have funded its payroll account in advance to these other companies to float the paychecks. If not, if those companies are actually paying the uh, the worker in advance of the normal payroll cycle, then how does that how, you know how does that company make money? Well, the only way they're going to make money is if they charge a premium to the restaurant to pay the people in advance this immediate pay. So, again, I don't see the immediate pay as a benefit at all to the restaurant. You know, you pay them every two weeks. Um, maybe they're getting commission uh, tips. You know, they they take that they take that home, but the idea of offering, you know, hey, complete flexibility and immediate pay just sounds like totally working against the restaurants. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe they just want to give all the power to the to the worker. But I just can't see being a general manager and feeling good about that at all. They have peak shift maximization. So you can work when pay rates are likely to be highest. Well, what about the person who's not on the gig, right? And they're just working their normal, normal and they find out, hey, we got these gig people coming in and you're paying them 25% more. Well, I want that. So it immediately causes inequity, big, big problems. I'm not sure that that's going to work. Final one, no boss. Uh, just what it sounds like. The digital work, the digital gig work platform connects workers to jobs without human intervention. There's no boss telling workers to go, just algorithms. Oh, man. Can you just, again, I just can't imagine being a general manager trying to run a store and you've got these ra what, random people coming in. I don't, I don't know. There are a lot of problems with this one. So uh, for now, big thumbs down on the gigifying your openings for restaurants. Sounds like a great idea. I think it works for driving, but I don't see it happening for food. Hey, if you think I'm wrong, uh Tell me. Let's get a conversation started. Tell me how you think it works. If you're a restaurant operator, you're currently doing it, come on the show. Tell me how you're making it work. Prove me wrong because I cannot see through my own biases. Okay, um, got another um, got another kind of interesting story here. We've got NAD. Now, NAD is the uh, National Advertising Division of the Better Business Bureau. If you know anything about me, I am totally against all this over-regulation. I think government should be so small in the background, let people be people. And I'm not saying get rid of laws. I'm not saying don't um, 
have common sense, things like that. Of course we want that. But these, these regulated, these programs that get out there and get in the way of companies' marketing efforts, this one to me just seems like a major overreach. And they're coming down on the cliff bar. Um, look, cliff bars, look, they are what they are. It's a snack bar, okay? It's marketed as an energy bar. Of course, if you get sugar and carbs and some of these other things, you're getting energy, right? Uh, I use them when I go bike riding. Throw a couple in my in my shirt. Maybe I throw a banana in there. I've got my water, and it's perfect for a long ride. But this is what happened. So NAD finds the Cliff Bar slogan unsubstantiated in an advertising challenge. Well, who challenged it? So it must be someone in the industry who's seeing Cliff Bar doing really well. And they're saying, hey, these guys are making a claim, a marketing claim, and we don't like it. And they got the NAD, part of the Better Business Bureau National Program, to come in and slap down this decision on Cliff Bar. It says, Cliff Bar and Company will cease using the slogan, the ultimate energy bar, in conjunction with an, quote, optimal blend of protein, fat, and carbs in its marketing campaigns after the NAD found the slogan constitutes an unsubstantiated claim about the superiority of Cliff's snack bars. You know, the fundamental principle behind marketing is you promote yourself. And if people go and buy the Cliff Bar and they like it and they get energy and they get what they want from it, then fine. You know, there's a... um, there's an old case study on the word light, L-I-G-H-T, light. And it happened back when your first light beer started, you know, beginning really hot. So you had, you know, light beer. And the claim, this very same thing happened. They went after these light beer uh, advertising slogans. But it was found that the word light, literally, you just cannot define it. And therefore, it was so ambiguous, they allowed it to stand because you're really, you know, light. Well, light compared to what? Is it lighter than lighter than that one? Yeah, it is. Maybe lighter than that heavier beer, but you couldn't completely define light. So the word light beer was allowed to stand. So now, in fast forward to today, you've got the situation where you've got the word ultimate. So they're using – so they're saying – now, the word ultimate is something you can define. Ultimate meaning the absolute best. Well, to me, I think, you know, the word ultimate, it just means it's really good. To me, I look at it as a marketing slogan, right? I'm buying a, a prepackaged consumer product in the middle of the grocery store. I know it's not a banana. You know, if I want the ultimate energy, whatever, then I'm going to go buy some fruit. You know, Um, I'm not going to be buying something prepackaged. So I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's petty. I think the cliff bar is awesome. And I think someone's going after them and trying to, you know, slow down their, their growth. Now, look, plant-based food, alternative meats, proteins is being pioneered by impossible and beyond meat. But these companies have had their problems. And here's another one that just um, just popped up for Beyond Meat. Beyond Meat settled a lawsuit 
filed by a group of its uh, stockholders in March of 2020, alleging the company's senior management team. Wait, 2020? Oh, it's ongoing. Sorry. Um, I thought I was somehow had been tricked into reading an old uh, an, an old article. So Beyond Meat settles with investors on derivative suit amid ongoing Don Lee litigation. So Don Lee's co-packer. And so what happened, um, the company's senior management team, including co-founder and CEO Ethan Brown, former executive chairman Seth Goldman, and former CFO Mark Nelson, they were accused of, quote, breaching their fiduciary duties. And the litigation was a derivative action related to an ongoing legal dispute brought against the company by its former co-packer, Don Lee Farms. And man, if this truly happened, this was a dog move. Um, What basically they're claiming is that Beyond Meat had an agreement with with Don Lee to be their co-packer. They had an exclusive five-year co-manufacturing contract, but they but they canceled the contract. They found a out clause, citing health and safety concerns. Well, what happened? What turns out was being alleged is that Don Lee had actually created and developed specific proprietary technology for Beyond Meat that Beyond Meat took and gave to other co-packers to force competition, to drive pricing down, (laughs) and then to get out of the contract with these guys, with Don Lee, they go back and they cite health and safety concerns. So that's how they get out of the contract, and then they have taken and stolen, allegedly, this information, and now they're using another co-packer. And they settled this lawsuit. So that's a dog move. I don't know if that happened or not, but that was definitely in the news. Not the best look for Beyond. Um, our final – no, we got two more. We got two more quick um, quick topics here. So this was in Beverage Digest. Soft drinks makers walk elasticity tightrope as record inflation persist. Okay, well, first of all, if you are ever if you ever cite a government statistic, you really need to dig in and understand where they get the numbers because typically the government's going to make themselves look as best they can. So if they want a big number, they're going to inflate it. If they want a small number, they're going to find a way to make it look small. The truth is they do not want the inflation number to look as big as it is. Okay, just like our national debt. They don't want our national they don't want you to know we really have 160 trillion dollars in unfunded liabilities. Right? They'll tell you the the national debt is only 30 trillion. That is completely false. The government does not use generally accepted accounting principles or gap when they report on their financials. They just don't have to. They have literally no accountability, no oversight. So here we go into inflation numbers. So it is being uh, touted that in March, inflation hit a 41-year high of 8.5%. Well, you might be shocked to find out that the actual inflation rate is closer to 20% because they did not include – the increase in gasoline, and they did not include the increase in housing. So we're actually at a all-time, all-time high of inflation. But what that actually is saying, though, is that it is causing this incredible pressure on soft drink makers now 
and they're just not sure when those uh, current and future price increases are going to negatively impact volumes because it is now definitely trending down. Um, what happens here, you've got Nelson data reported by Goldman Sachs for the period ending March 26th. The carbonated soft drink category showed signs of volume erosion, moving from negative uh, 1.5% for the 12-week period to a negative 1.8%. Then a negative 2.6% for the four-week and two-week periods, respectively. So what um, what that correlates to is that they've had pricing growth during those same three periods of around 13%. So they've hiked their prices 13%, and now they're seeing upwards of negative 2.5% decline in volume. Look, that's what do you expect? I mean, you're, it's the sugariest drink on the market, these carbonated drinks. Uh, there's not a lot of value in them. They're not functional, really. You're raising the prices, and a lot of people, they just do not want to drink their calories. So um, if you're in that business, y'all have some real tough sledding ahead because I think you're volume, you are going to see volumes dropping. Now, the final item. This is a big, uh, big issue, um, obesity. And – just coming off that last report with uh, carbonated drinks, the, um, this is what's happening overseas. And a lot of times you'll see things happening overseas. The U.S. will eventually adopt some of these ideas. So this is happening over now in Britain. So the majority of Britons or Brits believe the HFSS restrictions will be ineffective in fighting obesity. This article shows uh, a young boy, very overweight, just asleep on a on a couch, and in front of him, he's got ding dongs, cupcakes, uh, popcorn, just all this food scattered across this table. And they probably should have a. Yep, there it is. There's a remote control for a uh, an Xbox, and the kids just zonked out. And what the government is trying to do is create regulation and packaging and verbiage, right, to fight this obesity problem. So it says here, a new report reveals that the majority of Brits do not consider the soon-to-be-implemented tobacco-style controls of high-fat sugar and salt products will help in the fight against obesity. Now, I think it's a good idea to put the labeling on there, but let's face it. If you want to tackle the obesity problem, you've got to get people to change their behavior, stop looking for gratification through food, through drinking, and through a sedentary lifestyle. I, I don't mean to be uh, glib. I don't mean to, you know, overstate it. Just, just kind of oversimplify this. But we have seen this trend going on now for decades. That kids today, the majority of kids, are just not as active. You're always going to have that group of kids that are super active. Parents get them involved in sports. The kids love sports and they do that. But you've got this other larger group of kids that they are attracted to video games. And it is very mesmeric to sit down in front of the TV on a comfortable couch, chair, with your friends, playing a fun game, eating. And if you do that day after day after day, instead of going outside and doing something fun and productive just you're you're gonna get fat so i have to agree with them i do not think that just putting labels on this stuff is gonna really 
fix the problem. I think the food and beverage industry, do they have a responsibility? Yeah, I think they do have a responsibility. Um, And I think they need to be promoting more, you know, better, healthier lifestyles. Do you have any ideas? I mean, how can they do it? Uh, You're a snack company, right? It's your job to make snacks. Um, Maybe you can start making snacks a little more healthy, but you can't. Ultimately, they're not responsible for another person's behavior of not wanting to go outside, not play, not stay healthy. And uh, here we are. Obesity is a major crisis in the UK with 63% of adults classified as overweight or living with obesity. More shockingly, one in three primary school children fall within this category too. Now that is shocking. And I'm just raising awareness around this. This is something that needs to be done. And you know what? If you want to solve a problem like this, you solve it in your own home. I don't think a governmental agency can come in and try to solve it for other people. You have to see it and recognize it as a problem in your family. And guess what? You're the parent. You're the one who goes out and buys food. Don't buy the crap. Don't bring it in. Um, Maybe if you do buy it, bring it out on special occasions, right? Don't just leave it there for easy access to it because sugar is super addicting. So um, that is the food and beverage report. And look at that. We are just at about 30 minutes. I am so grateful you guys are with me. So grateful for all your support for all these great food and beverage brands that we've been here highlighting on the Winning at Work podcast. And if you or anybody that you know is looking or searching for a new role in the food and beverage industry, make sure you talk to me. We've got clients who are hiring. And if you are a client and you're trying to hire and attract anyone in the retail, food service, food and beverage space in general, come to us. We'd love to put together a unique search strategy And we'll show you what makes us different, better, and special. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.